Hey, you can join me in our Ecclesiastes prayer. Lord, give us life as we seek you and your kingdom with a whole heart, as we attempt to fear you and keep your commandments. Let our life be found in Christ, led by the Holy Spirit, as we walk in the arena of God's great mysteries. Our text today is Ecclesiastes 4, 13 through 16, and I'm going to read three different translations. Um, There's a few words that are translated a little bit differently, not a good equivalent in English from the Hebrew. So the first one is from the New Living Translation. It is better to be a poor but wise youth than an old and foolish king who refuses all advice. Such a youth could rise from poverty and succeed. He might even become king, though he has been in prison. But then everyone rushes to the side of yet another youth who replaces him. Endless crowds stand around him, but then another generation grows up and rejects him too. So it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. And this is from the CSB. Better is a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer pays attention to warnings. For he came from prison to be a king, even though he was born poor in his kingdom. And I saw all the living who move about under the sun follow a second youth who succeeds him. And there is no limit to all the people who were before them. Yet those who came later will not rejoice in him. This too is futile and a pursuit of the wind. Or in the NIV. Better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. The youth may have come from prison to the kingship, or he may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. And I saw all who lived and walked under the sun, followed by the youth, the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before them, but those who came later were not pleased with the successor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Last week in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, we read about the goodness of community and that two are better than one, and that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And this week we get a mini story about a wise but poor, possibly imprisoned youth and a foolish older king, unable to heed a warning, and he is ultimately replaced by the wiser youth. The young man is popular, followed by all who lived and walked under the sun, but he too is replaced by yet another youth. So the story is another illustration of that cyclical nature of time and the sort of vapor or smoke the Hebrew word, word is hevel, that all sorts of striving turn out to be. So as we've read, uh, Kohelet, the teacher, has declared that seeking after knowledge is hevel, chasing pleasure is hevel, producing great buildings and gardens, amassing great wealth, all of these have been described as chasing after the wind. Uh, in the story this morning of the succession of youths, we have another example of hevel. That word is often translated in English as meaningless, And I know we've talked about the word, the definition of that word earlier, but it's been a while and it's so important as a central recurring metaphor that I want to bring it up again, this word hevel. The Hebrew word hevel is often um, translated in English as meaningless because we don't have an equivalent word that captures all of the facets of meaning for hevel um, in English. Sometimes we translate it as vanity. um, And it's easy to lose the nuance of the word and the fullness of its meaning when we don't have a really good equivalent word. So the word hevel shows up right at the beginning of the Bible, actually, um, in that story of Cain and Abel. In Hebrew, Abel is hevel. 
So Abel's name means mist or vapor or smoke. And, you know, he only appears in the Bible for like a very short period of time. And then he's killed by Cain. So he shows up and then, and then is gone. Uh, it's also tied to that fleetingness of mortality. Like right away, Abel is gone from the story. So Hevel. Um, it's often compared to that mist you see when you breathe out on a cold morning. The, um, the vapor, like as your, as your breath comes out, you can see it, but you can't grasp it. You can't control it. It changes and it fades and it disappears in a matter of seconds. So here for a short time, gone the next, visible, something you can see and, and, and um, begin to uh, acknowledge or start to uh, interact with, but then just gone. So there is a sense of futility about the word, but also just a sense of fleetingness uh, of the ephemeral um, and changing, like maybe a frustration that it can't be quite grasped. The other piece of the word that I really like, and it's kind of echoed in our beginning prayer, is that sense of mystery. Like you just can't physically grasp vapor, and you can't quite intellectually grasp hevel. It just doesn't quite, we can't quite comprehend it. Um, So there is that mystery there. And all of the things that we think of that have been described as hevel, these the the fleetingness, are, are things that feel like they should matter. They should bring satisfaction. We think knowledge will bring satisfaction or pleasure or security and wealth or prestige and power and leadership like we want these things and like these things it seems like they should matter but they end up not being able to satisfy and it's hevel it doesn't quite make sense there's a fleetingness to all of those things but there's also a sense in which what we think should be true about them is not true and it's hard to grasp so Uh, Another facet of that word hevel that's difficult to capture in English is that it just carries a little bit related to mystery of this meaning of absurdity or paradox. Like it doesn't quite compute. Um, Coming up in chapter eight, we'll read that good people get what the wicked deserve and wicked people get what the good deserve in Ecclesiastes 8. And that is hevel. So that's not fleeting uh, or that happens over and over again, that pattern, but it doesn't it's like absurd. It's something we don't fully understand. It doesn't seem right. So there's a sense of not just meaninglessness, but of an inability to understand meaning, like to grasp it, just like a chasing the wind. The wind is real. We feel it. We see its effects, but chasing it doesn't do us any good. We can't catch it. It's beyond our ability to catch. And Hevel is like that too. So I wanted to talk about that word and bring that refresher up so when we come across the word meaningless we can hold more of the nuance and complexity of that metaphor in our minds because it's working on a few levels all at once so um the first verse of this passage it's better to be a poor but wise youth than an old and foolish king who refuses all advice so we have a couple of things we have another better than passage like it's better to have wisdom than to not it's better to be the poor but wise youth than the old and foolish king it also gives us some nature into the insight of uh, or some insight into the nature of wisdom wisdom literature in the bible has so many of these like better than passages in psalms you know we have uh the psalm and the song from the psalm like um one day in the your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere or we have also in psalms a uh, little that the righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. In Proverbs, we have 
It's better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Or how much better is it to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding rather than to be, or to get understanding rather than to be, uh, rather than to acquire silver. Or wisdom is better than rubies and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. So many of the passages, including the one here in Ecclesiastes, concern wisdom and the goodness of acquiring it and the value of it. They also sometimes hold something surprising, like it would be better to be poor and righteous than wealthy and wicked, or better to have a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide spoils with the proud, reminding us that the things we think we want, like wealth, for instance, um, are much less value than righteousness or humility. So in Ecclesiastes, in this story, it's better to be wise and young. And in this context, um, being young would not be uh, venerated. Like in our cultural moment, maybe being young is is venerated. Like we think we're, you know, wary of aging. But in this uh, biblical context here, it is uh, age that is venerated. That your social standing will increase with age. So being an old king is the age is not the problem. It's only the foolishness. The age would actually increase your social standing and the youth would be something that you would, um, uh, that would decrease your social standing. So in this, um, in this context, the uh, age represents experience and status. So it would be better in this story in Ecclesiastes to be wise and young and even imprisoned So better to have low social standing and wisdom than high social standing and power in kingship, but be foolish. So it is better to be wise than foolish, but wisdom under the sun has limits too. Even in this story, we see that wisdom may have have helped the ascent to the throne, but it did not guarantee a lasting legacy. It did not guarantee continued power or prestige. It ends like so many other pursuits as a chasing of the wind but it is still better to be wise than to be foolish. And um, that beginning also gives us a little insight into wisdom by comparison, by comparison with the, that foolishness. Um, it says, it's better to be a poor but wise youth than an old and foolish king who refuses all advice. Or in another translation, an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. So foolishness here is refusing all advice. It is no longer knowing how to heed a warning. And I think it's significant that this comes right after that section on community. We just read that two are better than one because they get a good return for their labor and they can help each other up if one falls down. They can keep each other warm. They're not easily overpowered. That cord of three strands is not easily broken. And here the mark of foolishness in the king is his inability to heed warnings and uh, his inability to take counsel, his inability to receive counsel reminds us of the goodness of community, that the isolation from advice is an isolation from community, that leadership without humility to listen to input is foolishness. There's also a little bit of a warning here in the way the text suggests that he is no longer able to hear admonition. Like even if you are a person currently willing to heed warnings or listen to advice, the possibility of slipping into foolishness exists. So while wisdom is better than foolishness and even leads to the young man's rise and power over the foolish king, the story here reminds us that wisdom under the sun has limits. 
It doesn't prevent that youth from being replaced either. And it doesn't necessarily last forever. There's a possibility in this story that that king was once the wise youth and he has now become foolish. So the story shows that rise and fall, rise and fall. The beloved ruler followed by a great crowd one day is replaced the next. So that cyclical pattern is one that's repeated over and over again in Ecclesiastes. We saw it right in the beginning of the book in chapter one um, of Ecclesiastes. It says generations come and generations go. Only the earth remains forever and the sun rises and the sun sets. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. And there is nothing new under the sun. No one remembers the former generations and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. So Kohelet, the teacher, and the book of Ecclesiastes keep reminding us that the things that we hope might satisfy don't. And this is the latest illustration reminding us that chasing pleasure, looking for security and wealth, um, in accomplishments, in building, in acquiring knowledge, or in pursuit of power or popularity is doomed too. So one ruler will be replaced by another. Being beloved by the crowd will give way to being rejected by them. And all these things are hevel, chasing after the wind. So we're not even halfway through the book of Ecclesiastes, but already the tensions of questions are building. Um, There's been so much named chasing after the wind. So many activities and pursuits have been ruled out as substantial or satisfying. Um, A scholar, Robert Short, says this about the book of Ecclesiastes. He says that Ecclesiastes is human self-sufficiency stretched to its absolute limit and found sadly wanting that the book raises questions that can only be answered by a future revelation of God. And clearing the road for this revelation, the book smashes any and all false hopes to pieces. So I love that thought of clearing the road for revelation. um, And that is my prayer for us as we continue reading and studying this book, that our false hopes will be smashed to pieces. And that as we grapple with life under the sun, and that as we notice, like this book does, the oppression and the suffering and the lack of comfort around us, that as we notice the continual passing away and the vapor of popularity or influence, or even of our good work or our wealth or our projects, that any false hopes we've placed there will clear our vision for the actual living hope that we have in Christ. That any discouragement over our inability to grasp vapor may transform into rejoicing at the good news of God with us. That any grasping at finding our identity in these chasing the wind type pursuits would dissipate like vapor and leave us with the security of our identity as image bearers of Christ, free to participate in the kingdom of God and not bound to life under the sun. So we're not left in this self-sufficiency to suffer in a cycle of futile striving and rejection. We are recipients of grace that extends beyond life under the sun. The cycle of our lives is one of perpetual forgiveness and restoration. So that's the cycle that we are in. Rather than just the passing away, it's forgiveness and restoration. It's redemption and resurrection. So with that in mind, let's um, collect the elements of communion and we can spend some time in silent prayer considering that and how in Ecclesiastes we have been studying so much, encountering so much that does not satisfy, reflecting on our life under the sun. But as we prepare to participate in communion and participate in a meal with the God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believes in him might not perish, but may have everlasting life.